there, I'm Andrea Koppel, and it's time for coffee, the podcast where you get to hear firsthand what the jobs and careers that interest you the most are really like. Hey there, Java junkies. Welcome back to another episode of T4C. If you're someone who loves museums and history, then this is the episode for you because my next guest has her PhD in history and is the lead curator at the brand new International Spy Museum in Washington, D.C. But before I introduce you to Dr. Alexis Albion, I want to make sure you've signed up for the Java Junkies Journal. That's Time for Coffee's weekly newsletter that comes out on Mondays and gives you a sneak peek at the episodes and the professionals we're going to be featuring that week. And it is super easy to do. Just head over to the Time for Coffee website at time, the number four, coffee.org and sign up. Now, my espionage loving espresso drinkers, please grab your mug and take a chug of your favorite caffeinated beverage because it's time for another caffeinated career conversation. And my guest is Dr. Alexis Albion, the lead curator at the brand new International Spy Museum, which just opened its doors in May 2019. Dr. Albion was a professional staff member on the 9-11 Commission, also known as the National Commission on Terrorist Attacks upon the United States, which was established in November 2002, and I'm going to quote here, to prepare a full and complete account of the circumstances surrounding the September 11th attacks, including preparedness for and the immediate response to the attacks. Alexis went on to become the director for policy of the 9-11 Public Discourse Project and a strategist at the U.S. State Department. Eventually, she worked as an assistant to the president and speechwriter for the president of the World Bank. By the way, if you want to learn more about what Dr. Albion does as the lead curator at the International Spy Museum and how she curated her own career, please check out the show notes for this episode to see if the main T4C interview has already been released. Dr. Albion, Alexis, welcome to Time for Coffee. Are you caffeinated and ready to go? I believe I am. I'm not a coffee drinker. You aren't. But I'm a tea drinker. That's okay. I had my tea. Excellent. What's your favorite tea? I am not a tea snob. My favorite tea is English breakfast. Supermarket brand is fine by me. Okay, great. I'm guessing that's because of your British roots. Probably, yes. <laughs> okay. Well, I want to let our listeners know that we have just had a whirlwind tour of this incredible museum because we are here in person doing it at the International Spy Museum. And it is just incredible. I can't wait to come back and go through it again. And I think it's going to take me at least 10 times before I have truly gotten the full breadth of what you have assembled here. It's really extraordinary. Andrea, you have a VIP pass <laughs> anytime you want to come. Oh my goodness. Thank <laughs> you so much. So let us dive right into the 10 espresso shots and the way that we are going to categorize this episode is for those who are interested in museums with the caveat that you had a very different path to getting here. So museum curation 
And I have to throw in history because that really is your pathway to how you got into this incredible career here at the International Spy Museum. The first question being, what entry-level jobs, Alexis, are available to young people who want to get into curating exhibits in a museum? I did not have a traditional museum professional career, so I didn't have to go through this myself. But I would say anything you can do to volunteer or intern at a museum, just to see what goes on behind the scenes. Because I think for most of us, our experiences are in the exhibits, but to get a sense of all the different types of jobs and all the types of skills that are involved behind the scenes... It's not just writing labels and coming up with exhibits. There's installation. There's all kinds of technical challenges and things like that as well. And museums are more and more getting into media. And so I think anything you can do to get behind the scenes and just experience the myriad of things that can go on at a museum, I think would be very helpful. So internships being probably the yes. best. I mean, no one gets into museums to make a lot of money. And and frankly, the number of jobs are few and far between. So I think we are talking about probably some kind of an unpaid internship or maybe even some kind of a temporary job at a museum in guest services, for example, would be a great one where you get to actually experience what it's like to have to work at a museum and interact with visitors because that is what it's all about. It is about having visitors come, maybe volunteering for some teaching opportunities, education opportunities at a museum. But I think entry level is probably going to be that sort of unpaid internship. Yes. So what is a useful skill or skills, Alexis, that you look for in the young people that you hire here at the Spy Museum? Yeah. I mean, I think just having a real interest in museums and in education is probably what it is. I mean, one of the things that I really appreciate about working here, which is different from other places where I've worked, is that the people who I work with, they just love museums. They really do. And when they go on vacations with their family, they visit museums. <laughs> and when we visit museums, we come and tell each other what we saw and about exhibits that we saw and how interesting they were. And we're always thinking about how those things could be useful in our own work. But I think just loving museums. And if you're the type of person that wherever you go, you always seek out the museums to visit. And I think that's a good indication that this might be interesting to you as well. Fantastic. I would also think now having been through the museum with you, that people who are creative. Oh, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe even storytellers. Yes, I think that's a very good point. Yeah. I mean, that is what we're really about. We're about telling stories, stories about history, stories about intelligence at this museum. Absolutely. And being creative and thinking about different ways to do that. What's the most effective way to tell that particular story? And what are different ways in which you can tell that story and get your points across? Yes. Fantastic. So what about life experiences, Alexis? And by that, I mean outside the classroom. What are things, and you've already suggested when you're either in your free time or on vacation, going and visiting museums and observing and taking it in and letting those creative juices flow. What are some of the life experiences that you think young people could be thinking about as ways to prepare them for a career in museum curation? 
Goodness, that's a hard one, I think, because I've had a lot of different experiences and I'm not sure what prepared me for this more than anything else. I guess, obviously, curiosity. I think that just being curious about things, asking questions, if they're just reading things that you love to read about and learn about and find out more about, kind of trying to dig down and ask questions. And when you see something, you think, hmm, I'd like to know more about that. And whether that means going on the internet or buying a book or talking to people, there is so much about this, which just involves basic research. You can't figure out how you're going to present this story until you've researched this story and found out about it and found out all the different interesting elements about it. And you go into a lot of depth and then you figure out, okay, how do we do this in a hundred words or less or whatever it is? But there is a lot of research and depth that goes into that. So if you love doing research in libraries, I think that would be a good background. This isn't about presenting information to an academic audience. It is presenting it to the public. So any way you can take complex stories and try to figure out ways to make them interesting to the general public, that's the basics of what we do. Do you think it is more important than as far as the reading is concerned that they like to read nonfiction versus fiction? Or do you think it doesn't matter? I don't think it matters. I mean, obviously, nonfiction is where you're doing your research, you're getting your stories and things like that. But I'm a big fan of fiction. And I guess, again, fiction tells you so much about storytelling. And I think that's really important. You can have a great story, but it maybe doesn't come across in that interesting way unless you find the best way to do that. Sometimes it might be in writing. Sometimes it isn't. Sometimes it might be in film. Or so maybe it's it's something of a more interactive nature that allows you to feel and understand that experience. So I don't think it's all about just the information and facts. I think fiction teaches us tremendous amounts about storytelling, about empathy, for example, and that can be a terribly effective way of conveying something to visitors who are coming in of all ages and from different parts of the world as well. So this next question actually was something that surprised me. Is someone's major a determining factor in breaking into this line of work in museum curation? And before I started preparing for this Mm -hmm. interview, I would have said yes. I would have said you need to have a background or a major in museum curation. But hello, you're a history major undergrad and history PhD. Well, I didn't. (laughs) So I guess you could say, no, you don't need to. I mean, I think studying something like history, which is obviously directly applicable to museum. But in general, I have to say, I don't think it really matters what you study as a major. I mean, it is about learning how to think, how to write. I think certainly anything in the liberal arts, social sciences, anthropology, history, even political science, they're all teaching you how to absorb information, how to process it, how to spit it out again in an understandable way. So I don't think that matters terribly. Unless I think there are obviously specific things where you study some very specific topic and then you're trying to get a job at some museum that does exactly what that is. That's going to be appealing if somebody is looking for someone who really, really knows that content. But again, depends on what you want to do at a museum. There are historians at museums that are the content experts, but exhibit developers may move from museum to museum, from exhibit to exhibit, doing completely different things. I have a wonderful colleague here who used to work at a museum on dentistry 
dentistry. Believe me, she did not study dentistry. And you think, how did she make that transition to intelligence? Well, again, it's just about being incredibly creative and interesting and curious and learning new topics and getting into them and finding out what's interesting about them and conveying that to our visitors. Do you know off the top of your head what she studied in school? Oh my goodness, I do not know. I'll have to ask okay, her about I'm just, that. I would but love to again, know. I don't think it really matters. She's an educator. That's what she is. So does it really matter what the topic is that you're trying to educate somebody about? Not necessarily. Do you need to have that content knowledge? Somebody probably needs to at the museum, but that might not be the position that you want to hold. What about a graduate school degree right. and maybe less so for the entry-level jobs, yeah. more so for somebody who wants to be right. a lead curator. Well, that is obviously the path to take. Again, I didn't take that path. I kind of stumbled into this sideways, I kind of think. But certainly most of the people I work with in my department do have a master's degrees in museum studies. Absolutely. And they sound like wonderful programs now that I hear about them. I guess it wasn't on my radar screen at the time, but this is certainly the way to go. In Washington, D.C., we have so many museums. So, so many of those master's programs actually have uh, practical elements of them where you have to do a stint at a museum and develop a project, which actually feeds into your degree as well. So you're getting that hands-on experience at the same time. But I think if that's what you know that you want to do, I think doing the master's degree in museum studies is certainly a good idea. And that will put you on that path. And also, obviously, getting to know the people and the contacts. And again, I have colleagues who have colleagues from graduate school who they can reach out to at different museums around the country, which is a wonderful community to have as well. And mentors from their studies as well, who they can turn to and ask advice and bring in for expertise and all that kind of thing. So yes, I think if you know that's what you want to do, that's certainly something to look into. Terrific. What for you, Alexis, is the best part of being in this profession? Yeah, I think it's the creativity. I did spend a lot of time before I came here at other places. Outside the museum world. Sorry, outside the museum world. And especially I was in some large bureaucracies and there's nothing like being in a large bureaucracy to squeeze the creativity out of you. And even before this opportunity came along, I did have this feeling that I always had thought I was a creative person and I was feeling like I'm just not creative anymore, that these opportunities weren't there for me and that I needed to get back to that. So when I came here, everything's kind of sort of made sense of, yes, (laughs) this is what I'm supposed to be doing. And I feel as if creativity is kind of a muscle that atrophies over time. And my first few months here, I would sit in meetings with my wonderful creative colleagues. And I would feel as if this muscle was just so just needed to be exercised and that I would listen to the ideas that they came up with. And I would say, oh, I feel I can do this, but I'm just not there yet. And it it took a while. When we're children, we're taught, we're encouraged to be very creative, drawing, writing stories, and then you get funneled into some professional career and I felt, at least for me, I felt like in a way that was kind of, oh, yeah, I don't have time for that anymore. And here I really felt like that 
creativity was appreciated. And I've loved that. That is definitely the most fun part of it. And the different people I get to work with who are all very creative. I can imagine that you felt like, yes, I can finally breathe. Yes, I think so. And again, creativity needs to be fed. It needs to be fed by other people, by other experiences. So going to another museum to see an exhibit was not sort of a waste of time. That was something that could definitely feed into your work. And that was encouraged. If one of my colleagues went to a museum on the weekend, in our staff meetings, they say, well, I went to see this show. And let me tell you, I thought it was great. And this was really interesting. And you should go. And, and we did field trips to go and see shows and exhibits. And I mean, how wonderful is that? If this is what you enjoy, how wonderful is that to do this as part of your job and have that be appreciated and acknowledged as something that is important for our day-to-day work? So every job has its flip side. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) What for you, Alexis, is the part of your current job that sucks the most? (laughs) Well, I guess there's several factors. You can dream big, but... (laughs) There is reality that sets in, of course. And it's the reality of time and resources and so on. And this museum opened a few months ago, but I have been kind of going back through things and cleaning up and finding some of our concepts from years ago. And it's almost, oh, we had such amazing ideas at the beginning. And there was a sort of blue sky period where we were just imagining wonderful, wonderful ideas. And of course, reality set in, no, can't make it rain inside the museum or we can't do this, we can't do that, we don't have the money for that. Choices have to be made. Making choices is always the hardest thing and things have to go and that sucks. (laughs) Well, I can only imagine what your ideas were that weren't able to be put into practice here. But having said that, what I've seen is so incredible. Those other ideas must have just been Hmm. out of this world. Crazy ones. Yes. (laughs) We did have some crazy ideas. Well, maybe you'll be able to do them at some point. You never know. So Alexis, what has been the best career advice Mm. you've ever gotten? Yes. I think it was somebody who told me you should never accept a job that you weren't scared of taking. And I've thought about that many times. And I think that was great advice. I do believe in sort of trusting your gut about these things. And there have been times when I haven't felt like doing a job that scared me. I just wanted to coast. And I think that's fine. There are different times of your life when you're ready for different types of challenges or not ready for challenges. And there are things that go on outside of your working life, of course, your personal life, relationships, children, aging parents, things like that, which take up a lot of time and oxygen. And sometimes those are more important and it's just time to coast at your job. But that idea that it's okay to be scared. And in fact, sometimes it's good. I know what that feels like. And I've had jobs which I've gone into thinking, I am terrified. I have no idea what I'm doing, but I'm excited. And that's the opportunity that you really want to take. And I think if it's that I'm terrified and I'm terrified, that may be not an opportunity that you want to take. I don't think every scary job is one that you have to go for. Sometimes it's not right. But if that fear of taking on a challenge that you really don't know how to overcome 
seems exciting to you, something you want to do, that's the right combination. So that was great advice. And I do think about that. And I give that advice to others too. I love that advice. And I have to say, I have been scared before just about every single job I've ever had. It's like you're standing on the edge of a very high diving board at the local pool. You're standing on that super high diving board and you're looking down and you're like, I could jump or I could just go back down the ladder. And I agree with you. I think that you can look at it either as being scared or you can see it in the positive light, which Mm -hmm. is that's what's exciting. Yes. I mean, if there's a job which you're going into and you say, yep, I know what to expect. I know what it is. I know I can do it. What are you really doing? <laughs> Why are you what going, are you learning? You know, what are you, what's the point there? That doesn't sound interesting to me. No. I mean, this job, certainly, I had no idea what I'm doing. I'm not even sure if I do now. <laughs> but that's fine. I love that you would say that. Oh, and absolutely. that's so empowering for our oh, young yes. people to know that even a woman who has her BA in history from Princeton and her PhD in history from Harvard University can say, Uh, I'm scared. Those don't prepare you necessarily to know what you're doing. (laughs) Absolutely not. No. Many times I have no idea what I'm doing, but that's okay. And ask other people to help. I'm pretty open about the fact that I don't know what I'm doing and that I'm just going to forge ahead and it may not be right or not, but people will certainly let me know. Well, I think you're incredibly humble and also refreshingly honest. Well, there's no point in not being, (laughs) don't think. My philosophy, exactly. So two final espresso shots, Alexis. What movies, if any, or Netflix, Hulu, Amazon shows and or books do you think accurately capture this (laughs) profession? And maybe I should say, I don't know if there is one on the museum curation. Maybe what is that night in a museum? Oh, Yes. Right? (laughs) Right. Or maybe you want to do it from the spy craft side. It's totally up to you. I mean, I just, I really cannot think of a film or book that sort of, I suppose anybody who works in an office has loved watching The Office for its absurdity. And there certainly is a good amount of absurdity around here. So any of those kind of work situations, whether it's a TV show or a film, which shows the absurdity of work would apply. But I can't think of anything particularly. We talk about spy movies and TV shows and the extent to which they reflect the reality of intelligence work. This is not that. I know that I remember vividly in graduate school being at home over the holidays and watching one of the Mission Impossible movies and thinking, and I was working on a paper at the time, which had to be due in when I got back and not enjoying the fact that my vacation time was being taken up by having to work on my paper and watching this Mission Impossible movie and thinking... (laughs) Why can't my paper be as fun as this movie? And actually, it was the reason why the next semester I decided to write my paper about intelligence, because I thought, why not? (laughs) Why can't I write about a topic as fun as watching this Mission Impossible movie? So I think one of the things that this job has taught me is that job can be fun. That sounds ridiculous, but maybe it's my upbringing, whatever. Work isn't necessarily supposed to be fun. I'm not saying it's fun every day, but I do work at a place where actually having fun and enjoying yourself, that is part of what we do. So if watching a movie can be fun, then my job is kind of fun too. So maybe spy movies like Mission Impossible do reflect some of what my job is about. 
Nice. Okay. Well, we did actually get to try to detonate Yes. or excuse me, keep a bomb from detonating, deactivate a bomb. There you go. Yeah. yeah. I so mean, you this have is... to have those kinds of fictional experiences in order to develop that kind of an interactive in a museum. Yeah. I have no doubt that fed into mm-hmm. some of the thinking you're having seen so many Mission Impossible <laughs> movies. I tell you, there have been times when my manager has told me, you need to go home and you need to watch Captain America because it's very important for understanding something that we're developing. And I've said, okay. <laughs> Twist my arm. That. Twist my arm. <laughs> so final espresso shot. Alexis, what do you think Java junkies would be surprised to learn about your profession as a museum curator? Hmm. Gee, I think I'm going to take a 180 degree turn and say, I think they would be maybe surprised at how seriously we take it (laughs) at the same time as having fun. I mean, the amount of thought and discussion and detail has gone into, I can pretty much say almost every single part of this museum and every part of developing an exhibit, I think was a surprise to me and I'm sure is a surprise to other people. It isn't easy and we take it very seriously and a lot of research and a lot of talking to other people, a lot of discussing, are we doing this right? What are the main points? But are we addressing this? Is this coming across as strongly as it needs to, but might people misunderstand this? Those discussions go on for a long time and for pretty much every piece of this museum. And there are certain exhibits that were grueling in as much as how much we went through that and rethinking and rethinking and rethinking and rewriting and reaching out to experts and getting their views and rewriting again and an awful lot of detail. And also just into the way these exhibits are presented. I remember calling up a friend of mine who works at the Stasi archives in Berlin and asking him the degree to which the ceiling of a Stasi intelligence office would be stained with cigarette smoke (laughs) because we wanted to make it look accurate. I think people might be surprised. And what was his answer? Well, we discussed it. We said, yes, it would be a certain amount of staining from cigarette smoke. And we talked about how much staining there would be in an East Berlin hotel. And then we talked about, well, this was a hotel room that would have been for for foreign visitors and they would have liked it to look nice. So it probably wouldn't be very shabby. And you know, we talked about that. And most of our visitors, I'm sure, don't even notice that there is some staining on the ceiling of our Stasi intelligence office, which is supposed to be like cigarette smoke. But some people may. And that's what makes the difference. I certainly will when I go through this, this museum again. Alexis, Thank you so much for making time for coffee, time for English breakfast tea with me and the Time for Coffee community. You have such a cool job. This is such a fascinating line of work. I have learned so much preparing for this interview and also listening to you today. Thank you very much, Andrea. Thank you for coming. Thanks so much for listening to Time for Coffee, where the professionals in the jobs that most interest you always have time to grab coffee 24-7, no matter where you live. I have one quick favor to ask you. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe to Time for Coffee. Thanks so much.